I'm going to just read an excerpt from 6 as kind of a uh, summary of what happened. So let's turn to Joshua 6, verse 15. So where this is in the story is kind of a summary of what happened in Jericho. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Okay, so this is um, just, a, I just always want to include somehow part of our scripture because time keeps us from being able to read two whole chapters of Joshua. But I want us to, to and there's so much to say that we cannot say. So I'm just really frustrated at the beginning. Um, But to to summarize today's lesson, we have two sets of walls that come tumbling down. Both are miracles. One is Jericho's walls come tumbling down. One is Rahab's walls come tumbling down. Okay, so we have two sets. Now, the way this goes down, if you look at your handout, there's a cartoon. I love Snoopy. And some of what we talk about, the whole point of the cartoon is sometimes the Bible doesn't act the way we want it to act. Sometimes God doesn't come across like we think he should come across. And this is one of those lessons where we're like, really? Is this how Jesus would do this? Um, Is this what Jesus would do? Kill everybody in Jericho? That seems really not like the God I fell in love with. So... Let's talk first about what is this that's happening, and then we're going to talk about Rahab. So, why the ban? Why this total ban on Jericho, um, which included every human being from child to adult male being slaughtered, and all the animals? I mean, it's just just icky to even say to y'all what is going on, and so why? Why did God tell them to do this? And so one of the things the commentator Davis said is you have to really look at the Old Testament perspective on why. Not your perspective on why. Because that's we're looking through the lens of the Old Testament. This was a well-deserved judgment. It's what it was. They had had 400 years to repent. Abraham, if you look in Genesis 15, verse 16, um, it, God is telling Abraham, you're going to have this land, but I'm going to wait until the sin is their cup of judgment can't hold anymore. I'm going to give them that long to turn. And his patience is unbelievable. 
And their sins that they had were not like, oops, I told a white lie sin. They were very, very bad sins. Um, sexual perversions, magic, child sacrifice. Um, in Exodus 34, 11 through 16, God says to them, you've got to break them and you cannot have anything to do with them. Just like Joshua is saying, you cannot have anything to do with them or you will get snared in the sin. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 12, um, it talks about how this, their sins were abominations. In Leviticus 18, 24 through 25, it said the land is going to vomit them out. So this is, the, this is why the judgment is severe, because the sins were severe. And God is using Israel as a tool of judgment, just like he would use rain or a flood or any other thing. This is the tool God has in his hand. And it's not, according to Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 5, it is not because Israel is so good. It is not because they're so, so holy themselves. The only reason God has chosen them is because of his favor for them. Now, this is not a text for, okay, we get to go have holy wars now. That's not what this is about. This is a very specific command for a specific time in a specific patch of land. And even in the conquest of the promised land, not every place has this total ban like this. So what does this tell us? If, if we're studying Joshua to learn not only about what happened in Joshua, but about God. What does this tell us about God? What does this tell us about our own salvation and judgment? Well, first of all, it says God is very long-suffering, very, very patient, but he's also very holy. And there's no, there's, there's no other reaction to holiness but judgment when you have this kind of sin. And he's also very protective of his people and wants them not to associate with this kind of just dangerous people because of their sins. And we see later in the history of God's people that they don't listen to God. And that's exactly what happens. In the land, he says when, he, when he's talking about how the land will vomit them out in Leviticus, he's saying the land will vomit you out too if you act like them. And that is what happened. So, there's, it's also a very, very strange strategy to the way they conquered Jericho. I mean, this is not the, the United States Military Academy or whatever, wherever they learn battle plans. This is probably not the one they're teaching them. Okay, let's get all our armed men, let's get this Ark of the Covenant, and just every day for like a week, march around it. And you can't say anything. Like, that would be the hardest part, right? I mean, we can't even make a line to the kitchen without talking. So he's saying, you cannot shout. You march around every day once. And don't you know those people in Jericho were freaking out? Like, how spooky is this? But on that seventh day, he says, march seven times around. And then Joshua says, and when I say go, you shout. And they did it. And the walls came tumbling down. And they just walked in. In 1 Corinthians 1, 25, it says the foolishness of God is better than our strategies, right? And this is an Old Testament case study, and this is so silly. 
but it shows and underscores the passivity of God's people and the activity of God himself. That they are just passive. They are just marching. They're just marching. And it's like somebody just cleared the deck so they could just walk in. And it just shows that God did it. Joshua cursed Jericho before the end of our story. Total judgment on this place. Not just today everyone's dead, but if anyone ever builds this city, it's going to be at the cost of their firstborn and their baby. And that's exactly what happened. If you sneak a peek at 1 Kings 16, someone rebuilds Jericho and it said when he laid the foundation, his oldest died. And when he hung the gates, his youngest died. And this was to be total judgment on this very sinful place. So what does this tell us about judgment? It's deserved. It's deserved. And we just cringe. We are so, I don't know if it's us. I don't know if it's society. I don't know if we're just far away from seeing warfare. But it just feels really icky to us to hold this passage as something God would do. But also we see as much as it's deserved, there is a reservation. There is a place for repentance. And that's why I love that we're going to get to look at Rahab. In the middle of all this carnage, there is Rahab. And we see a picture of what's coming in Revelation 20. Well, how, how does God look at judgment now? Is this one of these Old Testament things that I can just go, that's a terrible bedtime story, Susan. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, but no, God, if you read in Romans 2, listen to this. And I think I may have put this on your handout. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Judgment is still coming. We are in the patient years of God. We're in the years where he is waiting and he is holding back judgment until the very last one of his precious children are saved. But don't be presumptuous. Don't sit there and not let his kindness speak to you. And instead, ignore it and store up wrath for yourself. But the second point is we have a stark contrast to this judgment happening in the same city. We see that this sin brings judgment, but there's another wall tumbling down, and that is the wall of Rahab and her family's hearts. Now... what is the deal with the prostitute's house? And why are the spies going there? That was a great question I got this week. And you know, where else in the city that is shut up tighter, they're on the lookout for this, this army that just crossed the Jordan River last week, remember? And it's locked up. Where else could strange men go and not arouse suspicion? It's not at the local market. It's not paying a visit to your Aunt Joan. It is in a prostitute's house where strange men came all the time. That was par for the course. And um, 
I just think that it is so beautiful, the irony, that God's faith is found in a red light district. Um, on the back of your handout, there's a quote from Firth, which is one of our commentators. God's holiness ultimately brooks no opposition, but it always contains at least an implicit invitation to change. Rahab was a Jerichoian. She was part of the enemy. She was part, she was part of the city. She was a citizen of Jericho. So she was God's enemy too until this moment where she totally left in her heart, left her own people and said, I'm on God's side. And in that moment to hide the spies, she cast her lot with God and his people. Based on what she heard about God, just based on his reputation. And this is what she says in chapter 2, verse 10. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Wow. So you feel the tension of, oh my goodness, this, this, we know the walls are about to go. And here's this woman, a hooker, a hooker, y'all, who's going, I believe God, and I want out of this. And the spies are there. They go to her door. Can't we see God's sovereignty for this? Now, a lot of us get hung up on, she told a lie. Oh, my goodness. Bad Rahab. Like, that's the worst thing she's done. <laughs> um, it's just sometimes it takes a moment to think how silly I'm being as a reader of Scripture. This is not a case for lying, so don't take it to the bank and say, well, Rahab said I could. Um, but I am really not going to be the first person to throw a stone at this woman who has had her heart for hiding God's people so they would not die. And so, yes, she tells a lie. Yes, that is not the point of the writer's story, is not the lie. And James and the writer of Hebrews say what their main point of Rahab's life is, is not a lie-telling thing. It's she saved spies. She put her basket, all her eggs went into the basket of God, and she, she has faith that we need to emulate because she did risk everything for joining God's people. All based on what? Just fear? No. He was the God. He was the living God. He's the powerful God that can do something about this situation. So this house of sin becomes a house of salvation because she goes and tells her family and whoever is in the, the whatever you call it, the bolero, the condo, I don't know what you call a hooker's place anymore. What is it called? Brothel. Thank you. It's a brothel. So whoever's in the brothel when the tumbling walls happens gets saved. That's, and it reminds you of Noah's Ark. It reminds you of even Lot and his family. Like just, just this family salvation. You think about the Passover. Whoever's in the house covered by the blood is saved. And you see how God works in families a lot of the time. And she does what they say. She does exactly what she said. I'm just amazed by obedience in the Bible. And she has that rope to identify her apartment so that they would know which brothel to go to to save her. Um, and we just see how free grace is here. She has not had time to learn the catechism and say it to the elder and get her a little prize. She has not had a lifetime of good deeds. 
She's had one moment of choosing, and her works show her faith is real. So she could not even earn her place in God's kingdom. God had to give it to her. And God loves to work through families like this. Now, James 2, 14-16 says her actions are due to her faith that she chose God over Jericho. So I want to ask you, how do you proof, how do you see to make sure your salvation is really real? What are your choices and your lifestyle? Because we too are God's enemies, just like we would have been in Jericho. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what is the wall around your heart? What is the city wall that keeps you from God? What is your choice today? And do you serve God or a doomed way? And what does it take for God to tumble those walls around your heart? And the, that you have the choice. I'll be judged or I will be made family. I will be dead along with all my people, all my children, all my husbands and wives and friends. Or I will be part of a family that has Jesus at the center of it. Those are the two choices and that's what Rahab chose between. But it, and this really goes along well with what Betsy announced about the net. What's so amazing about Rahab is not just she had faith to, to hide the, the spies, but she was given this new identity in chapter 6, verse 22 and 25. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all of her relatives and left them, left them outside the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Okay, so here we have that Rahab goes from enemy to family overnight. And what they did is they took her family and put them outside the camp. Now that just means they were not purified yet. But we know that they become inside the camp and Rahab becomes actually, instead of an outsider, a true insider because she marries Salmon, which is of the Judah line, the Judah family, and becomes Boaz's mother and David's, what, great Great grandmother, great great, and then the great 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 Jesus's grandmother. Okay, so think about the 400 years had to wait. She may have been the last person in the 400 years to be saved because she was special, and God was going to make her special in the line of Christ. And in Matthew 1, she's one of four or five women that are mentioned in this line of Jesus. A prostitute, a hooker, a woman of the night, whatever you want to call her, a, a raunchy woman, whatever you think of, has been made to be married into the kingly line of Israel and was so accepted 
as a peer. And what an identity to be made in from a woman of the night to a nice Jewish family and become an ancestress of Christ. Romans 5, 11 through 12 says, For if, when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And then in Titus 3, 7, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So mercy trumps judgment every day. Mercy trumps judgment. And He saves us not just to be free from judgment, to be part of His family. Now how at Trinity do we do this? How can our culture be one that the Rahab's, would be fine coming into this room right now and sitting down. Maybe you feel like a Rahab that's just covered up, that you know what you've done in your past, and you have, especially for sexual sins, it's really hard for women to feel clean or to feel like God says He forgives me, but I'm not sure really He can. And I want to say those are walls that need to be tumbled down, and Jesus is the one to do it. Remember who the commander is at the head of this army. We met him last week. The angel of the Lord, Jesus himself as commander, takes your, your sin walls and says, they are nothing from my power. My mercy trumps the judgment you deserve. I took the judgment. I swallowed that cup of frothy, nasty, red wine, draggy, ugly judgment so that you can be part of my family. You're my daughter. You're my sister. You're my... You're my, my, my Susan, my Shelly, my Joan, my whoever, whatever your name is. That is who you are, mine. Let's pray. Lord, help us to welcome people into our community because we have been welcomed into this community. And we have seen the grace of forgiveness and how you have the power to tumble down our walls. And Lord, we just pray. We pray for our country. We pray for our city. We pray for our community and neighbors. And we pray for our own families that you would spare us and that you would extend your patience and that we would offer mercy. We would be like Rahab and be evangelists to say, please come and be saved. And in your son's sweet name we pray. Amen.